This is The Dime, a 10-minute dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. As always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney, here with me. And today, we've got a very special guest, Jordan Vager, CEO and co-founder of Dewey Scientific. Jordan, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing, uh, doing good. How are you two doing? Awesome, awesome. It's a beautiful day here in New York at the end of March, and we're excited to, to kick it off. Same. It's pretty warm out here in Colorado, so... I'm jealous. It's about 42 degrees and uh, sleeting here in, in Washington right now. It's, it's, it's a normal spring. I think before we get started, I think it'd be great if you could share with our listeners a little bit about you and what Dewey brings to the space. So a little bit about Dewey, we, we like to say that we're bringing credible science to the cannabis industry. Um, and when we're talking about credible science, we're talking on the, the plant genetics and biochemistry side. Because, um, you know, that's really what cannabis is in the end, is it's a plant that has very unique genetics and biochemistry. So we, we really try to apply modern science techniques to understand that and then how to leverage that into a commercial cultivation and, and plant breeding. My background, I have a PhD in, in plant biochemistry and was one of the early people to work with cannabis genomics uh, within academia. Um, and I've discovered a few terpene genes, some synthases in the terpene family. How did you get started in the cannabis industry? Yeah, so I, um, I'm going to go pretty far back here to my days in college. I worked in a, a plant biochemistry lab. And, you know, as a college kid, I was smoking weed all the time. I was like, wait, I'm learning some really cool stuff about plant biochemistry. I happen to love this plant. Let's, let's make this my career. At the time, like there was medical in some states and then recreational just, just started in Washington and in Colorado. So when I applied to grad schools, I only went to look for states where I could work with cannabis, maybe at home, not necessarily in the lab. That, that brought me to Washington. I found a lab whose main focus was the biochemistry of glandular trichomes and terpene production within secretory cells. So, you know, I knew enough about plant physiology at the time to, you know, the, oh, trichomes, terpenes, sounds like cannabis. It's going to be pretty close to working with cannabis. So I joined that lab and then eventually I got to work with cannabis, uh, part of my, my, my PhD project. Um, and it was about that time that that project started. I, I decided, you know, let's, let's try to apply this into the cannabis space. And it, it's not like there, you know, at the time there were a bunch of, you know, large companies like there are today, at least in Canada, where they have like pretty in-depth research teams. And, and so in the time since we've founded Dewey, more, more and more companies have incorporated this in, but that's, that's how, that was my path to the cannabis industry. Just a love for biochemistry and a love for cannabis. Perfect combination. So before we hop into the questions, Take us back to Dewey. How, how did that start? Was that another cannabis-induced idea? And kind of take us through that. Yeah, so Dewey Scientific, it uh, was founded by, by me and a, a plant breeder when you know, we, we started out as, as friends, uh, umpire in baseball, actually. We were baseball umpires. And after a game, I think we went and smoked some weed and it turned out he was a plant breeder. I was a biochemist. And so we, we thought, hey, let's, let's try to apply what we know to cannabis. So I think that, that was in like 2015, 2016. We set up like a little makeshift lab in my house. We bought like some laminar flow hood on eBay, started doing some tissue culture in my house. <laughs> and that's how like it really started. And then, you know, fast forward a few years, we, we start pitching to investors and we, we get funded. So really what we do is um, we work with other companies, breeding programs, and we, we sort of supply them with, you know, the scientific expertise uh, as it relates to genomics, genetics, biochemistry 
to improve their breeding program. And so we, we work with a few folks in the hemp space. We work with a couple of different farms in, in the recreational space, farm down in California, a couple of farms in Washington. And then, of course, we have our own recreational cannabis brand, uh, Dewey Cannabis Company, that's in Washington. And that's it in its whole. Um, we, we do work with a couple of international companies. We've worked with some folks in, in, uh, in Costa Rica. They, they recently just changed their laws. They've got a CBD market now. Um, so we, we actually we helped with the first import hemp seed to Costa Rica. Those, those seeds came through the Dewey Lab. Um, at one point. So that's, that's really what we do. Nice. It's the, the classic tech garage story turned for the cannabis industry. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's awesome to hear the evolution of it for our space. So yeah. let's, let's kind of dive. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Well, I was just going to say the, the first, right. To do tissue culture, you need an autoclave. So just like high pressure, high temperature. So we bought a shop co down the street was, was going out of business. So we, we picked up like a $20 pressure cooker and, uh, that was how we, we made our first batch of media. $20 pressure cooker in my, in my garage. Were you living at home at the time? No, this was, this was while I was in grad school. And imagine what your mom would say if she opened up. Like, what the hell is going on here? So let's, let's yeah. dive into some of these things. On the website, it says better crop decision. In its simplistic version, how does Dewey do that? So we, we are big fans of collecting data on your crop. Um, if you're going to want to improve something, you need to know what is going on. Uh, in the first place. So that's that's sort of our approach there is is capturing as much data, whether it's plant performance data in the field or if it's data related to the genetic makeup of the plant. We, we, we take a, a full view of that to then make better breeding decisions. Well, let's talk about those better breeding decisions. Are there ones you can specify, ones that are common in the space? Um, I, you know, I think with the, the increase, you know, if we back up to when, when hemp became legal, um, with the, with the 2018 farm bill, you know, since then there's been a lot of progress by many companies in improving the genetics that are out there. Right. I think the first couple of years, everything was like a cherry wine background. Um, now there's, there's, you know, maybe eight, you know, a few, a few dozen of, of solid backgrounds that are out there. So, so I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. Genetic uniformity was a big problem at, with the, with the 2018 farm bill, like crops were very, uneven. A lot of crops were hot. I mean, that's still a big problem in the hemp space. You guys know that. So it's, it's a matter of, right, if, if you're just breeding for, for low CBD, or sorry, low, low THC abundance in the CBD backgrounds, right? you, you want to have t- the tools that can speed up your breeding decisions and, and your timeline to, to getting to what you achieve. So that, I don't think that answers your question. When I was thinking about this, and correct me if I was wrong, have you heard of the, the myostatin gene? that was recognized. It's called the mighty mouse gene, right? And so when I was actually thinking of what Dewey does, I was thinking about this kind of work that's being done like by biohackers, I guess, is the uh, best analogy I could think of. And so the presence of this gene or the actually the absence of it causes muscles to increase dramatically, right? And so when I was thinking about Dewey, I was thinking that's exactly the type of work they do in terms of analyzing the plant to say, okay, like I see that say this specific strain has massive trichomes, right? And then all of a sudden it's testing higher, but, but what is the exact reason that it has those larger trichomes and why is this strain yielding better when I extract it versus this strain isn't right. And so is that a good uh, representation in terms of Dewey is going to come in and help me learn exactly genetically what's going on from a expression standpoint. And then I can try to replicate that in my breeding program. Is that something that's similar? 
Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, right. You just have to have your trade of interest. And when I say, yeah, you you need the data on it, you know, you want to know, let's say, let's go back to your, your, uh, this plan is extracting extremely well. So what we would do is, is to, to really learn the genetics behind that. You have to set up a breeding scheme. You, you want to have something that you want to set up a, what's called a segregating population. You want to have one parent that has the trait. You want to have another parent that doesn't have the trait. You cross those and then you, you look at the, the progeny, the children of that, of that cross. And if some of them have the trait you want and some of them don't, you have what's called a segregating population. And that's sort of the best way to go about understanding the genetics behind a specific trait of interest, you know, whether it's powdery mildew resistance or it's extraction yield. That's, that's sort of the, appro- the approach we take. So t- specific examples of what we've done in the past are, one is powdery mildew resistance. We've developed mole- molecular markers for that. So once we have these molecular markers in hand, it speeds up our breeding process. So rather than, you know, okay, we, we've got this, this Skittle mints and we've got this lemon meringue that we want to cross. And this lemon meringue, super susceptible to powdery mildew, but this Skittle mints is not. We, we can make the cross instead of, you know, going through the whole timeline of phenotyping all those progeny. You then just have a quick genetic test at the time they, they sprout their first leaves to, to identify what is going to be powdery mildew resistant. So we've done that with a few traits, uh, a few different traits. That's awesome. Yeah. How long, how long does that take? Like, um, I know it's ballpark and then that's a pretty specific request, but just ballparking. Yeah. So it's, it's really a matter of if you know the plants you're working with, we're talking about a 13, 14 week timeline. And if you don't, that's not too bad. Um, and if you don't, well, then you got to start collecting data. So that, that, that's sort of where we come in with the, the cultivators um, and, and just like, you know, provide them the scientific assistance to get what they want, right? Because most operators in the space right now, they know of what's in their genetic library, what does well for certain things, whether it's terpene accumulation, whether it's, you know, purple flowers or, or what have you, or, you know, resistance to different you know, abiotic factors or biotic factors, um, such as like, you know, right now at Dewey, we're, we're trying to tackle aphid resistance and at least develop some markers for aphid re- resistance. And so of all the, the different varieties that our, our recreational grow um, is growing, we do know some are incredibly susceptible. And we know that some, I, w- I don't want to say that they're fully resistant, but they almost never, you're almost never going to find an aphid on them. So that's, that's sort of the next trait that we're, we're trying to capture. And so with this, because, because we haven't really categorized our plants for this specific trait, the, the trait of aphid resistance, it takes a little bit of time there. So maybe, you know, m- maybe three or four flower cycles. So that is sort of a long timeline if there's, there's five flower cycles in a year. Um, but a year to 18 months, I think, is a, a good timeline. And what exactly is that? What are aphids? Yeah. Aphids are uh, a, an insect pest. One of the the bigger problems in the cannabis industry are aphids. You know, most most folks control it by just having a really clean grow environment. But even then, like it, they can, aphids can still proliferate. So what they do is they, they latch onto the plant and then they suck the sap, sort of the moving sugar water through the plant. Uh, so it just pr- leads to lower lower production uh, um, from a plant standpoint. Overall yields, cannabinoid content, terpene content. So I want to change uh, change gears a little bit. Um, you mentioned tissue culturing. Could you kind of provide a, a simple definition for our listeners of what tissue culturing is? What's the why is that different from um, traditional breeding methods where you're just kind of crossing two plants and uh, letting them grow and kind of doing the Punnett square? Um, what was the guy with the beans? My, my... <laughs> Gregor Mendel. 
Yeah. <laughs> Green wrinkled and yellow, yellow round. Yeah, exactly. Your <laughs> so teacher be so proud, Jordan. <laughs> oh man. So actually tissue culture is not something that we use in our breeding okay. schemes. You know, at the very basic level, we do go back to Punnett squares. That's what we refer to as Mendelian genetics. So like when we're capturing all this big data, this, you know, genetic sequencing data, you can start to see traits segregate in what we call Mendelian fashion, where it's like one to two to one, which is exactly the point of doing those Punnett squares. So, but, but to, to get to your question on tissue culture, tissue culture is a way for clonal replication, meaning, right, in the cannabis industry, people are always taking clones of their plants. It's, you know, cutting, you give it some rooting hormones, you put it in some rock wall or maybe some soil, then you get roots. Tissue culture is just a different way of doing that. And it's done on a much smaller scale from a plant perspective, right? For, for a clone, for a healthy cloner, you want to take like a six inch cutting for, you know, I don't even know the number, but for micropropagation or tissue culture based cloning, you know, you're taking something that's a few millimeter, millimeters in length. And so it's, it's just the same thing. You're giving a, a cutting of the plant nutrients that it cannot get without roots and you're tricking it to grow roots is, is the goal. So that's tissue culture in the cannabis industry. There's, there's some companies that do their cloning methods that way rather than the traditional cloning. And it gives, it provides the benefit of young clone is grown in a completely sterile environment, which there's evidence out there that you can remove some, you know, old accumulated systemic diseases or something from a tissue by using tissue culture. We've never done that. And I don't want to make the claim that we we can do that because I have no idea on the legitimacy of those claims. But that's tissue culture as it relates to cannabis in the short. Appreciate that. Yeah. Let's talk about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. That's right. No more excuses. Get your lazy ass off the couch. Go start a podcast. There's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Once again, no more excuses. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Could it be easier? Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. They're paying us for this ad. Thank you very much, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I've got another side question for you. Can Dewey play a major role or can it play a helping role in the future with the personalized medicine by understanding exactly how the whole process works? Is that somewhere you see Dewey playing a role in the future? Um, as it relates to personalized medicine, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the combination of all the, the phytocannabinoids and the terpenes within the plant are consistent, you know, right? If, if you have, and this ties into, it's, it's the entourage effect, right? If, someone is using cannabis for medical purposes, um, they want to get that same mixture every time, just, just like you do with you know, like aspirin. It's always going to be the same ingredients time and time again. So for, for folks going after a more natural means of pain relief or, or whatever reason, you want, to know, you want to find out what works for you, and then you want to make sure that those chemical constituents are always there. So where we can come in is you know, we will know that in a given environment, this strain will always produce this chemical profile. And so right, there's, there's multiple factors there. It's the environment, it's the genetics, and it's what the end user is getting, which basically comes down to the, the processing of the flower or, or the extract, whatever it may be. So from a genetic standpoint, it's making sure that the plants that are being sent to 
the growers of you know med- medical cannabis growers or even even the the patient themselves that the genetics that they're receiving are at least capable of providing the chemotype that that treats their ailment there are variables in it that are out of the genetics control but for the most part if the if the genetic makeup is there the uh, the chemical profile will be there too to help the environment is is got to be such a complex variable to account for and especially given all of the restrictions now with large msos kind of growing across different states i mean how does that work jordan i mean you got major companies across state lines all trying to grow roughly the same style products so that when you go dispensary material leaf in california versus new jersey you can kind of feel familiar with the products but there's got to be a ton of different variability so how does that work yeah. So from a genetic and biochemical perspective, like the, the major pathways that are producing medicinally relevant or even bioactive components, right? We're talking about the cannabinoids, we're talking about the terpenoids, and we're talking about the flavonoids. All of these pathways are heavily influenced at the genetic level in terms of genetic expression, which is really the driver, right? So if, if, if you think of back to the something you, you learned in, in biology with, uh, with Gregor Mendel, is the central dogma of of biology, which is genes are at the first level. They get transcribed into RNA, which is the gene expression. And that gets translated into proteins. And the proteins are like the, the, the chemical reactant reaction factories. So all of these pathways, cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenoids are incredibly sensitive to environmental interactions. And so in the, in the genetic space, we call this gene by, by environment interactions, G by E. Um, and so that is something that is I think the next big hurdle to clear in the cannabis space. You know, folks are getting really good with their genetics. The next hurdle I think to, to clear in producing that, that consistent product from state to state to state is ensuring that the environment is the same so that these, these metabolic pathways that produce these bioactive compounds are operating the same. Now, from a recreational standpoint, you know, maybe the chemical, pro- the, the, the chemotype isn't as important for the consumer. Maybe somebody just wants like super frosty buds or, you know, they only want purples. Those are two traits, you know, that um, are absolutely controlled by the genetic makeup. But, you know, if we're talking about purple, you know, you could, you could have a purple plant when it, it flowers at 72 degrees, it's purple. And when you flower it at 82 degrees, it's mostly green. Um, so that, that's an example of a G by E trait is, is plant color. And then, you know, something else like trichome, preservation. That's that's like another big thing in the processing space right now. Uh, making sure that your trichomes don't wither because you want to have big frosty nugs for the recreational consumer. Uh, that also you know, might lead to a more potent flower, but also it, you're retaining the terpenes better. So it doesn't matter how good genetics are if these other steps aren't taken care of. Is there a way that you could potentially implement like genetics testing throughout the life cycle of a plant as like a quality control mechanism? Yeah, it's a technique that's a little pricey at the moment, but it's referred to as RNA-seq. So RNA sequencing and what that does is gives you an idea of how the genes are being expressed. And so that's actually a service that we we do offer at Dewey with other folks is we'll look at your, your plants at different times. And so we can see when terpene genes are, are at their highest. Um, and then, you know, we can modify the, the grow environment to try to then, okay, how can we maximize expression of these genes? And that's something we offer and, and, and have done at Dewey. So say like I have a, my HVAC goes down one night, right? And I come in the next day and it is a completely different environment. 
I then call you up, you come in, we're, we're able to determine kind of what's going on from a genetics perspective. Is that something that you could then coach us through on like how to correct the environment to try to get that RNA sequence back to where, where it should be? Or is that kind of like a, well, you just accept it and move on kind of a situation? Yeah, the, the results aren't going to be immediate, right? If your HVAC yeah. goes down, you, you got to get your HVAC back up and running or your host, <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, let's say, right, you're, you're a company in California and you're growing indoors and you get a license for New Jersey and you want to make sure your products are the same. Well, first off, your genetics need to be the same. Um, but yeah, so, so let's say you start growing in New Jersey, your plant, you know, the, the chemical profiles is not there. This, this strain that just smelled so good in California, just it doesn't quite smell as good in New Jersey. We could answer that question with RNA-seq. It's, well, yeah, we'd look at the, the gene expression profile of the same plant grown in what you think are identical conditions and then, you know, diagnose what's wrong using that, that gene expression uh, fingerprint. Sounds like so, you're, the ghost, you're the Ghostbusters to me. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. A project like that, you know, that, that's not an immediate timeline. <laughs> that, that would probably be a, a year to two year project. We're going to cut that part like out that. from the two year timeline. <laughs> the people just hear, this guy can come in, he can solve problems immediately. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's raise expectations, please. <laughs> Gillen, did you have a question you wanted to ask? I was just going to, um, I thought you brought up a good point because I have consumed, say, like a, an OG in Colorado, and then you go to California and say I'm in Southern California and I purchase another OG, it's completely different versus even up in Northern California, there's another OG. And it's like they're three completely different plants but they could have all started. Do you think they all start with the same genetics, but based on the environment, that's going to change it? Or is it, we're just at the point where people don't really know what genetics they're really starting with yet. Like, could you kind of walk me through why that, that is the reason from a genetics perspective? Yeah. I think the first reason is it's probably not the same genetics. I think it's really unlikely that the clone from one source is going to be found all over the place. I mean, that's, that's what the cannabis industry is, is, you know, it's ripe with copycats, which is fine. But when it comes to understanding that from genetics, you know, th- there are tests out there that will answer that question. You know, medicinal genomics has a great product for determining the lineage of something. So, right, the first step would be, okay, are the three OGs in these different locations actually the same genetically? If no, well, there's your problem. If yes, then absolutely. Gene by environment is is most likely driving that change. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, my next question would be, what percentage of the industry is using kind of techniques similar to the ones Dewey provides? And is it based on the, the sheer size, that's the, the determining factor whether they move forward or not? Uh, what, what do you mean by size, the sheer so size? The size of the company, right? So like we've oh, got size like of the boutique, company. we've got like boutique style growth who, who might be more geared to using it. And you've got like kind of larger ones where I'm curious to know, like from your standpoint, what percentage of the, of the industry at this moment, both hemp and cannabis is using in Dewey Scientific or similar style analysis? Oh man, very, pro- probably 1% or less. Really, the, the companies that are doing this are in the hemp space, the breeders, like the really good breeding companies. And in the rec space, yeah, there's a few folks that are doing doing stuff. I think mostly in the rec space, the companies that are doing this are in Canada. And we're talking, right, the, the, the giants up there. And because, you know, for the size of the company, that's that's really our, our tools are, are more built for companies that are trying to get the same consistency in their products from different locations. Um, so, right, like a, a, a small farmer in Washington that is craft premium flour probably won't have much benefit from working for, with us. 
but the, the you know folks that are trying to replicate their product, provide consistency to their brand. Those are the folks. Sorry, their brand in multiple locations are the folks that um, would benefit most from from what we offer. Good, Seems right. like a no brainer for the large MSOs, especially the ones that are like opening up shop in in new locations as fast as humanly possible. You need to have some sort of consistency, especially as people want that. So it seems like a no-brainer for them. Yeah, I think to some degree, it ties so much into consumer expectations of the brand. And because like some states don't have vertical integration where the retailer is actually growing it, it's something that's that's sort of hard to control. But for yeah, a multi-state operator that is plant-touching only, it makes no sense because right, they want their brand to be the same no matter where it is. Like Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola at my Chevron down the street is the same as the Coca-Cola where you are. And and so for, for these multi-state operators, yeah, you got to have these, these quality control pieces in, in place. And genetics is a huge component of that. Is this a uh, technology that's kind of unique to the cannabis industry or is there is this used in other big ag? Yeah, it's it's definitely used in other big ag. You know, I think a really good model is the berry industry. The the largest berry provider in the US at least is Driscoll's. I'm sure you guys have Driscoll's in New York and Colorado. Their their entire business model is is built on their R&D program at the genetic level. So that's their first step of of quality assurance is they have kick-ass genetics. The next is they select their partner farms and they're they they set pretty tight rules on what the farms can do and how they grow their berries and the, everything from the, the pesticide treatment to the fertilizers that are grown, right? So that, that comes down to the G by E, the gene by environment interaction. And then beyond that, they have you know very s- strict and standardized uh, processing procedures, uh, right? Like everything that's A quality goes into their Driscoll's brand. Everything that's B quality goes into their other brand. Anything below that gets sold to somebody else or they turn it into puree. So that, that's an example of a different industry using these, these same tools that, that we're talking about at Dewey. Guys, I want to talk to you today about one of our new partners, CESC. CESC is a nonprofit organization providing a compelling and complementary alternative. They represent the ability to harness a flexible, collaborative approach to scientific advancements. They are comprised of leading doctors and researchers in the cannabis and cannabinoid science space for almost a decade. Their act first, talk later operating principle has now led to a successful series of disruptive innovations in the cannabis science space. They need your help now. Join them, collaborate with them, or support them. Go to thecesc.org to get involved now. Together, we can change the world. What's the future roadmap for Dewey looks like? Yeah, f- future roadmap right now, we are um, building our consumer brand. We are breeding, 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 always breeding. And... You know, we're we're almost to the point where we're going to start licensing our varieties to folks in Washington, and right, these, these are varieties that are resistant to a myriad of of pests, confirmed genetically, and then you know that are that compete with uh, with some of the the popular varieties out there from a, a cannabinoid and and terpene uh, perspective. Your biggest misconception since you started working in the cannabinoid space. So from from the time that I I started working with cannabis to now what was my biggest misconception oh geez i thought that we would have a larger barrier to entry um than we did right i, I got dewey was founded three years ago i think at the time there was like eight states that had legalized it recreationally not many and now it's now we're in the 20s close to the 20s 
So I think that that was just a misconception. Where I was like, oh man, no one's gonna be able to do this anywhere else except for you know a handful of places. Now it's like, oh shit, it's everywhere. But but before you know starting Dewey, I, I'd worked in like medical collectives in California. I've been smoking weed a long time. So I shouldn't say there was any major misconception. I sort of knew what I was getting into. I also, I think the the passing of the 2018 farm bill legalizing hemp threw me for a loop. I was like, hemp, who cares? Like, who's going to be using CBD? You, you're not getting high from hemp. So that, that threw us for a loop and like, you know, made us question if we should uh, do any any sort of pivoting. And we, we did, you know, of course, we, we started working with some hemp folks. But yeah, I would just say the growth of both sectors, hemp and, and adult use cannabis, I, I didn't think it was going to be this fast. Yeah, the industry moves just incredibly fast. And it's, it's funny, right? As we go on this journey where the states announce, you know, they're, they're coming online, there's huge progress. But at the same time, it's, it's like incremental. And we're still, we're still in the first inning, which is like the craziest part. We're, we're literally just beginning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it, I don't remember who said it, but they, you know, a week in the cannabis industry is like a year in anything else. And but at the same time, right? Like we we don't have our act together on a federal level. Like we can't even, you know, neighboring states can't trade product. It's we we do still have a long ways to go, despite the the speed of the last few years. We're still trying to figure out banking, which by the time this podcast released, we'll have it figured out. Is my <laughs> hopeful assurance. Oh man, I really hope so. Oh man, that's that's that was keep a big in this podcast out until it goes down. No, it'll happen. We, we, <laughs> we're we're going to get it done. I mean, you can see they're close, but it's crazy, right? Like we have people all the time that are outside industry that want to get in and are just perplexed by the type of obstacles that are kind of like self-imposed on an industry that is still fighting and thriving at the same time. And I think that's the most impressive part is that some of these companies, including yourself, are doing really challenging next level things and working with partners that are are grown for all these additional obstacles. Yeah, it's, you know, you mentioned banking as a big obstacle. The, the other one is the tax situation. Like we have to, <laughs> yeah, 280E, I don't know if you guys have discussed this on your show, but... No, it's this, not. I like it. <laughs> This tax code that says the only thing that a a you know provider of of a nar- narcotic, which of course cannabis is still labeled as as such, the only things you can deduct, right? You can break the law by trafficking narcotics, but you better not write off your accounting expenses. Like the only thing you can write off are the costs of the goods sold. So, like for a pretty like a cannabis grower, it's like the soil, the lights, the pots, <laughs> the fertilizer, and the people that that grew it. Like their salaries, so like that—that's—that's that's something that when I talk to folks outside of the cannabis industry and they learn about that, they're like, "Are you are you kidding me?" And it's just something that's ludicrous, and and it goes hand in hand with banking, like the, the financial perspective of how the cannabis operates right now. It's it's amazing that there are companies like you said, Brian, that are thriving the way they are. Some of these MSOs and all the hoops they have to jump through, like at Dewey, we have to deal with one governing board of the Washington State uh, Cannabis and Liquor Board. And like, I can't imagine what like Cureleaf has to deal with. Like (laughs) dealing with one entity, one, one government regulator is enough. Um, So props to them. I think that's what they have a team of lawyers. My team, I mean, like, like an entire baseball team full of lawyers because it's, it's gotta be nearly impossible. And the 280, I don't want to dive into that because it's a whole nother topic on its own, but when that gets removed, these operators will just have a ton more profit. And people are like, 
oh, these guys made a huge amount of money this year compared to last year. Like, what did they do different? And it's like, <laughs> now the government stopped screwing them over. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good investing tip, Brian. Yeah, I got to do a disclaimer <laughs> at the end of this podcast now. We are not <laughs> professional investors. Do not take our advice. But yeah, wink, wink. Absolutely. Before we wrap, we're going to do uh, two questions we ask all of our guests. You could sum up your experience in the cannabinoid space into one main takeaway or lesson learned to pass down to the next generation. What would that be? Keep your end goal in sight. You don't know what's going to get in your way of getting there. But as long as you have your eyes on what you want to get in the cannabis world, uh, I think you can achieve it. The last time you consumed any cannabinoids? Oh, uh, before this podcast, I, I took my dog on a walk and smoked a joint with him. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you guys if you, uh, if you guys wanted to, to have a little toke sesh before we, we started this. I'll get on the same level, but we just we'll, got into We'll have it, to so. save that for the Patreon members for the video subscription. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. We should definitely get together. Now we'll have to do a virtual one, but for soon in person. So prediction time. Will the future be genetically engineered cannabis? If so, what does that look like from a time frame perspective? If not, why not? That is a great question. Um, I don't know if it's tough because like cannabis is an industry that has its own subculture that has thrived within America, right? And it's it's often associated with with you know preserving nature, right? It stems from from the hippie movement, the free love movement. And so for those types of consumers. GMOs are, they're never going to consume GMO cannabis. So I think any, any company that is producing GMO cannabis is alienating sort of the, the, the base of cannabis users. Now, that's not to say it's not being used today by certain people. I just don't think that it's GMO cannabis will ever really hit shelves just because of the, the makeup of consumers. Now, using it in breeding programs as a tool to learn is probably the, the way that it's going to be used and it's already being used by, by a few companies. And then, you know, th- that's in the, the, you know, the plant aspect of cannabinoids. The other side is there are a bunch of companies right now that are either currently producing or on the verge of commercially producing engineered yeast grown cannabinoids where they've genetically engineered yeast to have the entire cannabinoid pathway, including the precursors. So you're feeding these yeast sugar and they're in turn producing cannabinoids. Um, that, that's, that's, I think, going to be a very useful tool as it relates to cannabinoids as a medicine and is going to be key for, for production of what, you know, call it the rare cannabinoids or even, you know, cannabinoids that don't really exist in nature but might have clinical relevance for uh, a certain disease or ailment. Kellen, thoughts? I mean... Genetic, uh, metabolic engineering is really close to my heart. It's what I studied for a long time. And so I agree um, with everything that Jordan said. I don't think that, I mean, GMOs aren't even allowed in Europe right now. Like there's no way this, the pot, the demographic of cannabis users are going to entertain the thought of consuming a genetically modified cannabis plant. So, but as far as the genetically modified organisms go like yeast and E. Coli, I do think that that is just going to continue to gain traction and but i do think at the end of the day it's only going to be for pharma because it goes back to the thing if you are producing say a thc molecule from e coli and you're using it to make a a vape pen that vape pen is going to have to say it's from a 
genetically modified organism and they're not, no one's going to buy it at that point. So I think it's going to be strictly regulated to kind of the pharmaceutical um, land. Brian, what do you think? What are your thoughts here? Would you consume some genetically modified cannabis? If Jordan was behind it, absolutely. Uh, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I trust Jordan blindly. So uh, the average consumer yeah. is not going to be like, there's too many things going on, guys. Like they're, they're not going to evaluate a product. At least I don't think they will. I don't think they're going to pick up a product, read the back. Like I don't do that now when I buy products. So like, I can't imagine when you go to a dispensary, you buy these products. I don't think that people are going to be as informative in that. And I think you'll have your slice of, of individuals who are really well-read and understand exactly what they want to consume like you do in other industries. And I think for the most part, it's all about money, right? At the end of the day, what makes the most sense? What's the, the cheapest way to mass produce these things from a clean standpoint to get past regulations? And they go from there. So I'm going to take the other side. I like that. One yeah, of us will well, be right. Well stated. For sure. For sure. Jordan, before we wrap, where can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more? If you want to learn more, check us out at deweyscientific.com. If you're interested in our, our recreational cannabis brand, check us out on Instagram or at Dewey Cannabis. Um, and then, of course, deweycannabis.com uh, for our recreational features. We'll tag them all in the show notes so people can find you guys. Thanks, Jordan, so much for your time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Colin. Had a blast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.